Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, April 16th, 2021. It is about 6 o'clock here on the East Coast. This is actually going to be a pretty fun, light episode today. Don't have too much going on. We're going to recap from the Masters. Um, We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Hideki Matsuyama's ginormous win. Um, We're going to talk about Julian Edelman retiring. We're going to talk about Luka Doncic and how unbelievable his game-winning shot was. We've got a little bit of everything. That's why the show is called This Week in Sports. That's why I'm the Pody. That is why I'm so good at what I do. And uh, without further ado, I hope everybody's having a good week or had a good week um, and has a good weekend. Supposed to play a couple softball games tomorrow. The rain has been a pain but uh, luckily we had a tarp. We rolled out there. We got that covered for uh, the last couple of days, and we're ready to go. Hopefully get some W's while we're at it. Uh, without further ado, um, why don't we just dive right in? Because uh, there is some stuff that we got to talk about here. All right, let's recap the weekend. I already gave you a brief synopsis, but um, earlier uh, in the weekend we had... Uh, The Bruins acquiring former MVP Taylor Hall from the Buffalo Sabres. Sabres just on a selling spree. They're they're just selling off everybody. It was only a matter of time before Hall was shipped out. Question was going to be where uh, the former New Jersey Devil found his new home as the Bruins acquiring him. They're hoping that Hall can, um, you know, bring back some of that MVP magic from a few seasons ago when he was with the Devils. Only on the year, I think, in like 30-something games with the Sabres, he scored like two goals, so not very good. But hey, he's been with the team a couple days, and he already scores his first goal yesterday in a 4-1 to Bruins victory over a very good team in the New York Islanders. Next up, the Philadelphia Phillies. On Sunday night baseball, they beat the Braves on a very, very controversial play at the plate with one out uh, in the top of the ninth inning. D.D. Gregorius hit a pop-up into shallow left field, and Marcelo Zuna caught it, throws home as Alec Baum tags up from third. Baum slides in. Um, I think it was it was Travis Darnot who was blocking the plate, so, well, he was on the third base side of the plate, and Bomb has to slide around him. Personally, watching this play, Bomb slid too early, um, and he's trying to get on the outside, so the left part of the plate towards the pitcher's mound, and he slides a little bit early, but he doesn't do a hook slide, nothing, no head first slide, which probably would have been his best bet in this situation, and instead... Umpire calls him safe. He gets just um, inside the tag and beats it out. Lance Barrett thought he hit the plate, called him safe. But upon instant replay, because they did review this play, it appeared that Alec Baum completely missed the plate. It looks like his foot, as the tag is coming in, it looks like Darno pushes his foot away from the plate. And it's quite obvious that that his foot never actually touches the plate, okay? And I've heard analysis on this from every different viewpoint and angle, and they're trying to say that there was not enough evidence to overturn the call. Like we've seen many a times in sports, the call on the field stands more than not, more likely than not, because when it is such a controversial play and it's so close and you just, I mean, we all look at that play, and it, it appears to be that his foot does not touch home plate, but we can't say definitively. Well, a lot of people thought it was quite definitive that his foot did not touch home plate. Let's take a listen to that call on Sunday Night Baseball. Didi pops that one into the opposite field. Ozuna's got it. Bone's going to try it. Here he comes, and he's safe. Wow! On a 
shallow fly ball into left field. They roll the dice with Ozuna's arm. And Bohm is able to score on a bang-bang play at the plate. Shallow left field. The throw. Wow. Oh, I don't know. Man, it's close. It might have looked like Bohm's foot came up. We'll get some definitive looks at it here. Oh, boy. Does the toe just grab a little bit of the plate? And see, that was the question there. Does his toe just graze that one part of the plate? It appears that he did not, but they, the play at the plate by uh, home plate umpire Lance Barrett was safe, so that was the call they went with upon replay review. The Braves were irate. The fans were irate because this was in Atlanta. Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves, was absolutely beside himself. He was irate. Uh, Drew Smiley, the starter that night, was absolutely irate, saying that it's nationally televised game. There's, we're seeing five different camera angles, and you guys can't get the call right. Um, yeah, a lot of people upset about this, and it was the uh, it was the second game in a few days where there was controversy with a call. Um, and when you have these replay reviews, it, it, it's how do we get, how are we getting these calls wrong is the thought process uh, with a lot of these players and, and fans and, and the likes of everybody, really. Um, the Braves did go on to lose that game. Uh, they came up in the bottom of the ninth inning and Hector Neris knocked down or nailed down the save, which was good for my fantasy team because I was down one save going into that Uh that game, and obviously that was the last day of the week, so I got the save, so I tied him in that category, and a tie is better than a loss in fantasy. So thank you, um, Mr. Lance Barrett, for calling Bohm safe. Okay, next up, the biggest storyline from the weekend, the biggest storyline really in sports um, since, you know, Baylor beat Gonzaga for the national title. That is Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters he became the first Japanese-born player to win a Masters, and it only took 85 years as, of course, this was the 85th iteration of the tournament. I don't know if maybe there were some years where there was no Masters, obviously, uh, with the pandemic, of course, right? So that's why I said about 85 years. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, last week's episode, I titled It's All Roses at the Masters. Maybe a little bit premature, maybe a little bit of a jinx um, for Justin Rose because he led after the first two rounds. But what happened on Saturday was there was about a 70-plus minute or so rain delay after that rain delay, Matsuyama came out on fire, shot a 65, and entered Sunday with a humongous four-stroke lead. Of course, we're talking the Masters, and anytime you have a major championship, four strokes might not be um, all that high because the pressure really can get to these guys the way this course is playing. You have one bad hole, and you blow it, um, which I will get into in a second, Okay. And that would be right around, what was it, hole 15, I believe it was, where Matsuyama's cruising. At this point, you have Xander Shoffley and Matsuyama are paired together, and they're pretty much, you know, neck for neck. Matsuyama, of course, has the big four-shot lead, and which he did blow up to six shots in, in the final round on Sunday. He ballooned that lead up as many as six. Will Zalatoris as well, um, playing out of his mind, the 24-year-old in his first Masters, uh, did a phenomenal job. But on 15, I want to say he hit a three-wood, did Matsuyama, on his second shot. It goes long and left and goes into the water. He was able to save Bogey, but Xander Shoffley birdied that hole and cut the lead to two, heading to the 16th par three. Little bit of pressure on Matsuyama at that point. However, I'm hearing some like weird reverberation type sound. I don't know if that's an airplane. All right, it passed. It might have just been my furnace kicking on. I don't know. But anyway, uh, so they come up on that 16th par 3. Matsuyama just dropped, a, just dropped a shot, and Xander Shoffley gets up to the tee box, and he hits a ball, 
and it goes into the water. It was just one of those things that it's like, you have got to be kidding me. I have it here. Let's take a listen. Extremely high, just ready to collect. There are the ripples. It hit a wall of wind. Wow, uh, that audio is actually was really was really loud and um, not very good. Um, I should have previewed that before I played it. I apologize. I grabbed that off of Twitter. Um, but basically, you get the idea. They couldn't believe it. They're like, oh, boy. It got caught up in the wind. Um, he said he had no regret. He, he hit a good ball. But, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Um, he blew his biggest opportunity ever. It's He ends up triple bogeying that hole, does Xander Shoffley a triple bogey. That's the first time, um, I think, in any major that he has triple bogeyed, and it could not come at a worse time. So, of course, Matsuyama can breathe, excuse me, a sigh of relief after that because now he, now Xander falls down, um, I believe tied for like third with Jordan Spieth. And it's now Will Zalatoris that jumps up into second. And um, so Matsuyama, he goes on to, I guess, I think par 17. And then um, he bo- he ends up two putting on 18 for the bogey. And he holds on for the one shot lead, like I said, over Will Zalatoris. He finished 10 under for the tournament which is basically right on par with what I said on last week's episode. I said it was going to be very difficult. I did not foresee these guys shooting as high into the teens. So um, at one point he was at 12 under, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I said he's not going to get to the you know the teens. That would be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Um, and of course I, I turned out to be right because more often than not, I, you know, I hate to brag, but I usually am right. Um, about these things. Um, so yeah, Hideki Matsuyama, the 29 year old winning the masters, the first Japanese born player to do so. Uh, there were two, I believe female born Japanese players that won LPGA, uh, 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 majors. Um, I don't know their names, but I did read that earlier today. And then, um, there was one more thing I was just about to say, shoot. Um, Jordan Spieth, like I said, finished tied for third there. Um, he's been playing very well. What was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, it'll, it'll come to me, but anyway, um, yeah, Will Zalatoris too, 24 years old. That is his first masters. And I hate to say this because this is just the way golf is. Um, Will might never finish that well again in any Masters the rest of his career. He could very well go on and win a Masters, but I'm telling you, he may never win uh, or never do as well as he just did because for Matsuyama, um, before he went, he won this, I believe the best he ever did was, was I know when he was an amateur, um, at a major, I think at the U.S. Open, he finished tied for second one of the years, um, but at a Masters, I think his best finish was when he was an amateur, when he finished in, tied for in the like 26, 27, and I did remember what I was going to say. There was one better. Uh, Matsuyama was like plus 4,600 to win the Masters. He parlayed Matsuyama and Eric Bledsoe, um, on the New Orleans Pelicans to score 25-plus points against the Nets. Um, that might have been on Friday or Saturday. And he parlayed the two, laid $50, and I kid you not, this man won $44,000 and some change. It was all over the internet. It was an absolutely friggin' epic um, bet that hit, and kudos to that guy, man. Wow, just unbelievable. Okay, um, that does it, wraps up the weekend. Uh, Let's talk Monday. Um, On Monday, probably early morning, afternoon, news dropped that Julian Edelman announced his retirement from the NFL following his release from the Patriots due to a failed physical. Now, I read up on this. The reason um, they, they released him on a failed physical was... He can collect now up to $2 million. I don't know the verbiage or 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 con- contractually how that works, but yeah, he, he, 
he can collect now up to $2 million. I'm looking at this for Edelman like I'm just almost waiting for the shoot, the other shoe to drop where it's like Edelman all of a sudden comes out of retirement now to join Gronk and Brady in Tampa Bay. Like that, that would not surprise me in the lightest. But uh, Edelman, he did release about a three-minute video, and I'll play a snippet of that right now for you to listen to. Nothing in my career has ever come easy. And no surprise, this isn't going to be easy either. Now, I've always said, I'm going to go until the wheels come off. And uh, they finally have fallen off. Due to an injury last year, I'll be making my official announcement of my retirement from football. It was a hard decision, but the right decision for me and my family. And I'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. There are a million people I have to thank. Yeah, and then it just goes on and on, and he thanks uh, Kraft and, and, you know, everybody there with the Patriots. But um, what I will say about Julian Edelman is he announces his retirement, and it sparked a lot of debate over whether or not this man should be a Hall of Famer. Of course, we know he played at uh, Kent State, I believe, was a quarterback, obviously seventh-round draft pick, and he just turned into basically uh, the second coming of Wes Welker, if you will. And um, it sparked a lot of Hall of Fame debate um, and whether he should he should get into the Hall of Fame or not. And I know a lot of experts are saying absolutely not. And um, I am going to agree with that. I don't believe Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, though he can make a case based solely on his playoff performance because the numbers are sickening uh, in a good way. Um, he did spend his entire career with New England for now, and unless he comes out of retirement like I was talking about and, and joins forces in, uh, in Tampa Bay there. He won three Super Bowls with New England. He topped 100 catches twice, 1,000 yards three times, respectable in 11 or 12 years. And uh, the biggest stat is, and this is where this is where he makes his cases, that playoff uh, stuff, he ranks second in NFL history behind Jerry Rice in both receptions and receiving yards in the playoffs. 118 receptions in the playoffs and, excuse me, 1,442 receiving yards, second only to the greatest of all time, Jerry Rice. And not to mention um, his ridiculous catch on third and 14 and his game-winning three-yard touchdown in Super Bowl 49 against the Seahawks. Uh, his ridiculous gravity-defying catch. Uh, you know, that was the second coming of, of the David Tyree helmet catch, um, which he had uh, on the tying drive in Super Bowl 51 against the Falcons. And, of course, he won a Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl 53 against the Rams, where he amassed 10 receptions for 141 yards in, I think, the lowest-scoring Super Bowl of all time, a 13-3 to win, their last Super Bowl uh, win. Just ridiculous. So that's where he can make his case, where he can't, he never once made a Pro Bowl. And, and the Pro Bowl, they pick, I think, what, like the top three receivers in, in the conference, and usually it's like five because a couple of those guys uh, are playing, you know, in the Super Bowl or, or whatever and, and in the playoffs, so they can't even attend the Pro Bowl. Um, I don't I don't put too much stock with, with football into the Pro Bowl personally myself just because it's, the least watched, you know, all-star game, air quotes, if you will, um, of, of the major sports. But, you know, he's got a, a little bit of a case to make. Of course, if Wes Welker's not going to be in the Hall of Fame, then there's really no way that um, that Edelman will make it. But, um, you know, definite ring of honor type of guy with the Patriots. He'll get in there. They'll have a ceremony for him, retire, you know, his jersey and all that good stuff. So, yeah, Julian Edelman officially, unofficially, I guess, retiring because, you know, who knows. Okay, next up, uh, uh, Monday night, while most of us were sleeping, myself included, Steph Curry decided to make a little bit of history. There was a lot that happened in this Monday night game between Golden State and um, Denver. A, a lot happened. Uh, 
Steph had 21 in the first quarter, and he goes on to score, what, I think 53 points, officially passing Wilt Chamberlain to become the Warriors' all-time leading scorer with 17,784 career points. He is going to obliterate this into the 20,000 mark and beyond. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, the other, The other huge bit, uh, of noteworthy news that came out of this game um, was the fact that Jamal Murray suffered a torn ACL in his left knee. Now, what's interesting about this is he had just come off a, a sore knee, a, a right knee that he missed, I think, the previous game on and he was rehabbing from just to come back. So maybe he came back too early, you know, was probably putting too much weight on his left knee because he was afraid about the right knee. Henceforth, he probably came back too early. But my buddy, uh, Nick, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he is a huge Denver Nuggets fan. He actually put it out there. uh, He was messaging me in our group chat that they left Jamal Murray in down eight with like 50 seconds left in in that game. And that's when it happened in like the final minute. So you just hate to see stuff like that. I'm devastated because Jamal Murray is on my, was on my fantasy basketball team. And I'm going to finish in second place in the regular season, heading to the playoffs. And I am going to severely miss Jamal Murray, probably not going to win my fantasy league now because of that. It's just very unfortunate. Um, Really tough if you're a Nugget fan. Um, Hopefully now Aaron Gordon can step up. I heard some rumors that they may be trying to sign Austin Rivers, so that's an interesting one there. Don't know if he's going to help all that much. Um, And, you know, the Nuggets, Jokic Jokic has been playing at an MVP caliber level. He's the favorite to win the MVP. I saw the plus and minuses and his numbers with and without Jamal Murray, and it's it's eye-popping. It's very glaring. Um, so you just hope that he's still able to maintain that, um, that MVP-type level without um, Jamal Murray as his point guard. It's going to be tough. And they're clinging on to that, you know, number four seed in a stacked Western Conference, which is 18 games left to play. Um, so we'll see what, what comes out of this. Um, it is also noteworthy that Jamal Murray is the fifth player in the NBA already this season to suffer a torn ACL and soft tissue injuries as a whole have crept up at an alarming rate since the season began. So I don't know what's going on. Um, It's sort of like with the Yankees, you know. They're preaching that, you know, these guys aren't lifting as much weights now, and they're they're practicing all this yoga. And and then four games, five games in, Aaron Judge has to sit for two games because there's something wrong with him in his side. And and these guys need every other day off. And the other day, DJ LeMahieu doesn't play. And then they won't pinch hit him for Jay Bruce. And, and And Kevin Durant, not playing I'll get to that later it's just like you've got to be kidding me you've got to be kidding me um so I it's just these guys are are you know LeBron James and Russell Wilson I believe they pay like a million dollars a year uh to to maintain their their body and their physicality and working on you know uh, so they don't get injured and yet you got to assume that these other guys are doing the same thing, and yet these guys can't stay on the court and they can't play a full season. We're talking 82 games in the NBA, not 162 like in baseball, 82 games. And these guys need to sit and load manage on nationally televised meaningful games. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Let's move on. We'll stay in the realm of the NBA and talk about Luka Doncic, one of the best young players that the NBA has to offer. Uh, what was he, the number two or three overall pick in the NBA draft? I think they swapped him and Trey Young there, and um, just ridiculous. Uh, didn't know much about him coming from Europe, but the kid can play. And the other night against Memphis, he had an unbelievable running floater from the three-point line to to sink the Grizzlies and give the Mavs the one-point win at the buzzer. Take a listen. It was just ridiculous. Got to get it in. Here's Luca. Gets it away. It's good! A Doncic dagger! He wins it three. as he was stumbling. He somehow got it to go. A shot. And what a dagger. 
for Memphis. <laughs> I mean, falling forward, stumbling out of control. He's at the rim when the ball goes through the net. His momentum carrying him forward as Luca wins it with a three. Puts up 29 points, 25 in the second half, and a huge road. Yeah, it's just a ridiculous. The only question there was, yes, was it the two or, or a three? His foot was close to the line, but slow-mo replay, no doubt it was a three. Just unbelievable um, for the game winner there. And the Mavs, they're still in contention there out west. They're hovering around, I think, what, sixth, seventh, or eighth place there. Let me pull up the Western Conference standings. Of course, being a Nets fan, I don't pay attention too much to the West um, because I just let, I'm just i going to let that run its course, and then the Nets will play who the Nets play in the finals. But out West, Dallas, yeah, there's 30 and 24. They're sitting currently in seventh place right now, just barely behind Portland by a game. And then uh, the Lakers continuing to fall. They are now uh, just 12 games over 500, and they have slid all the way down to the five seed. So, yeah, it could get interesting. Um but they'll get the uh, they'll get the Nuggets in that first round series, so that's a, that should be a good matchup for them. They're familiar with them uh, with the Nuggets from uh, the Western Conference Finals a season ago. Anyway, um, next up, the White Sox Carlos Rodon threw a no hitter after just barely losing the perfect game with one out in the ninth inning take a listen to this magical uh performance from carlos rodon the no hitter uh the second no hitter this season um after joe musgrove did it for the pa- uh, padres um a few days prior to that just ridiculous um here's the rodon no no the final three out. and two rodon to third moncada yeah it was only like 10 seconds i couldn't really find a good video for that but when that first that ball was first hit i thought it was a base hit but luckily third baseman was right there fields the ground ball throws him out and it is a no hitter the 20th no hitter in white Sox history that is second it's a good trivia question. Who has the second most no-hitters in baseball? Who would guess the White Sox, right? Uh, the Dodgers have the most. I want to say they have 23. Um, and speaking of baseball, my God, I've never wanted a video game to come out more than MLB The Show 21. Officially, it drops um, on Tuesday. But if you paid the $85 for the deluxe Jackie Robinson-like version where you get the show hat and all that stuff, uh, you could play it three days early for early access, which I'm not doing because it's coming straight to Xbox Game Pass, which I pay 15 bucks a month for, which was bundled into my all-access Series X when I bought that. But, uh, you know, I digress a little bit. So uh, I spoke about Rodon losing the perfect game in that ninth inning. Um, it was a hit batter, uh, hit by pitch. It was Roberto Perez, the catcher. You know, um, he's a big, burly guy, and he just he tried to put a wipeout slider uh, on a two-strike count. He tried to bury it behind his back foot um, like you would do um, with a slider, and he just overthrew it a little bit, a little too anxious, and it hit, it hit Perez on the back of the foot. Uh, just take a listen to this. It's a real shame. Inside, Perez. He got hit by it. Perez got clipped by the slider. Wow. What a way to end the perfect game bid. Carlos is talking to him. He said, really, can't you... Can't you fake this one? It actually got him off the top of the foot. My goodness. Carlos Rodon will not be perfect tonight, but the no-hitter is still available. Yeah, that was a real shame. I really wanted to see that perfect game, but what are you going to do? A no-hitter is a no-hitter. And I believe the no-hitter with Joe Musgrove the other night, he also missed a perfect game by one-hit batsman. Um, So just a crazy little nugget there for you. But um, I'm telling you right now, we're going to see more and more no-hitters in baseball over the next few seasons so long as these guys continue this launch angle BS. uh, That's no way to play baseball. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
I don't teach girl college level athletes when I coach softball to swing with an uppercut. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, especially in softball where where girls throw underhand and, and fast pitch and, and they have rise balls and drop balls. You're you're not hitting launch angle like that. Uh, it, it's just ridiculous. You need a nice level swing and you need to hit line drives. I don't teach home runs. I don't teach to uh, players to hit the ball in the air. You teach line drives. Hard ground balls, but you want line drives in left center, right center gaps. That's how you teach people to hit the baseball and, and, and or softball. And that's why we're seeing we're already we're, we're what? Not even three weeks, not even a month into the Major League Baseball season. And we nearly had two perfect games and we already had two no hitters. And I'm getting alerts almost every night um, or every couple nights. Um, that's a little bit of an exaggeration to say every night, but every couple of nights or so, once a week, I'm getting alerts from either, you know, MLB or ESPN app or whatever it is on my phone that this guy's got a no hitter through seven. This guy's through through seven and a half, you know, eight innings, six innings, and they've got no hitters and then they get broken up or whatever, but two already in the first couple weeks of the season. Like, what are we, like, what is baseball becoming? It's Michael K says this all the time. Baseball is boring it is becoming so boring with the analytics and everybody shifting there's not as many hits anymore you know anymore it's just ridiculous ridiculous okay let's talk uh let's get back to the nba quickly the uh philadelphia 76ers they beat the nets last night sans kevin durant James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Blake Griffin. I don't think I missed anybody. Practically all the the good players on the Nets, right? Uh, The Sixers edged the Nets. This was actually not last last night, Wednesday night. Wow, my days are blurring together. Um, What's unfortunate is this was the tie-breaking game, and the Sixers now win the season series. So if these two teams are locked and loaded, they've been trading barbs left and right. They had the same record going in. Now the Nets are half a game back. So it's possible these two teams tie at the end of the year and the Sixers win that coveted one seed and home court advantage for the Eastern Conference Finals or throughout the playoffs. And to me, that's, that was a big that was a big game. And the Nets just casually rolled up and said, we're not going to play Kevin Durant. We're not going to play anybody um basically saying we will concede the one seed we don't need the one seed to 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 get to the finals and win a championship and that's ballsy that is that is very very ballsy if you're steve nash if you're the nets i don't know if that's coming from the higher ups and sean marks i don't know if they're i personally kind of think that they're the nets are just trying to get to the playoffs um they're they're handling this stuff with kid gloves durant coming off the injury, missing 23 games. He's probably still on a minutes restriction and can't play in back-to-backs and whatnot. James Harden now dealing with a hamstring injury. I think they're being very, very cautious because guess what? Um, They didn't play Kevin Durant in the most meaningful game of the season. So Kevin Durant played the night before on Tuesday night in Minnesota because that game was supposed to be played Monday but then the, this whole shooting of this Dante Wright and, and there was um there was riots and this and that so they decided not to play any games in in the state of Minnesota MLB canceled all these sports canceled right so they they play the game at 4 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon when basically nobody's watching it's a meaningless game Minnesota is one of the worst teams in the NBA and three minutes into the game you knew this was a blowout and you knew the Nets were winning and guess what Kevin Durant still played pretty much the whole game so much so that he could not suit up and go on Wednesday night on a nationally televised game with Mike Breen broadcasting on ESPN. They should be ashamed of themselves. Well, guess what? Kyrie Irving, he came to play. He scored 37 points. Joe Harris, he started. He had a dud of a game. But you had Alizé Johnson. You had uh, TLC. You had uh, Bruce Brown. You you had Nick Claxton, who was uh, gave really good minutes in this game, and, and so on and so forth. And, and the Nets start getting, uh, they're, they're creeping in this game. You know, they're hanging around at halftime. 
And then by the fourth quarter, it's it's a, it turns into a 20-point blowout, so much so that Ben Simmons comes out. Joel Embiid with that big burly brace on his left leg. He comes out, or right leg, uh, whichever it was. He comes out, and then he goes heads to the locker room. I'm like, okay, his night's done, whatever. And guess what? Guess what? With Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris on the bench, the scrubs on the nets, they just churn out. Uh, every night they could just churn out players and, and compete the, uh, the Nets, except for that that uh, enigma that was that Lakers game, which we don't we won't talk about, which was an absolute uh, atrocity. They just got blown out. But um, I was pissed because they lose this game one twenty three to one seventeen. They cut into a twenty point lead by going on a. Uh, they were so they were down 22 with 8:21 left, but they go on a 21 to two run, cutting the lead to three. That was the closest they were able to get the lead was three. Yet guess what? Steve Nash never put Kyrie Irving back into the game. Well, you know what Doc Rivers did? He said enough is enough. Embiid came back to the bench. He put not Embiid, not only Embiid, but he put Ben Simmons, his two stars back in the game because he knew how important this game was to win. Steve Nash, well, he just didn't seem to care. He doesn't doesn't bring Kyrie back into the game. And, oh, he was asked about it afterwards. And this was the cockamamie answer that he gave. Did you consider at all Kyrie at some point, given how close the game got down the stretch? A little bit. A little bit. You know, would have thought about it. But really, you know, we, you know, I didn't want to, take the group out that was doing so well. They put their starters back in. I think I wanted to reward those guys for playing as well as they did. Kyrie did it was amazing for us tonight, but you know, he also has had a few days off. I didn't want to put him back in and, and risk any sort of uh, return to play injuries. So uh, overall, you know, I'm just proud of the way the guys played and, and uh, happy that we kept him out and just kept everyone healthy throughout the game. So my takeaway from this is that it has nothing to do with rewarding the guys, you know, that never play or, or, or whatever that that's, that's BS. Okay. This is Steve Nash. He has one job to do, and that is to win a title. He has too much talent to worry about a meaningless reg or quote unquote, meaningless regular season game, right? Cause t- Realistically, as a Net fan, this was the most important game of the season to win this tiebreaker. The Nets almost pulled it out with their scrubs on the court. And it's no disrespect. I'm just calling them the scrubs because it's, you know, the B squad or C squad or whatever. Um, And it's a shame because they they really could have pulled that game out. And uh, yeah, sure. Does it really matter whether the Nets get an 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1 seed in the Eastern Conference? No. Is it going to matter all that much if they get the 2 versus the 1 seed? Not really. Brooklyn and Philly, they're a bus ride away from each other. I mean, it's not that far up the turnpike. So, like, it, it's it's not a big deal in that sense, but... Uh, it's just it's ridiculous. It goes back to what I said. These players are Kyle. Kyrie missed a couple ga- a days for personal reasons. Yet again, uh, we won't get into that because I still don't know what it is. But uh, he comes back. He has thirty seven points. I'm sorry, but if Kyrie Irving doesn't want to go back into that game when you cut it to three, then what's he doing here? He has no competitive drive at that point. And Steve Nash, you conditioned. You're an NBA player. You played in this league. You're afraid he's going to get hurt if you send him back into the game. Well, how come Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid went back into the game? Was Doc Rivers not concerned about his two-star players? I mean, Embiid's wearing a ginormous bionic leg uh, brace on his leg. It's re- uh, And he's going back in there, and he's dominating for 39 points and and, and uh, 10 plus rebounds. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I'm not buying that. I'm not happy. Uh, prove me wrong. Don't let this game matter. Go and win the conference outright. So help me God if this comes down to a tiebreaker and the Nets don't win a championship or get out of the Eastern Conference, I'm going to be looking back to this exact game that the Nets could have have and should have won. And if we knew Durant wasn't going to play in this game, why did Durant play on Tuesday? There was zero need for him to play. They woke up from their they woke up on Tuesday uh morning and they it was a win. It was already a win. That's how bad Minnesota is. You didn't need Kevin Durant. You could have load managed him on Tuesday and he could have played in this nationally televised uh game on Wednesday night. That's my rant. Moving on. A uh, couple of 
college basketball uh, hires to talk about. Cincinnati hires Wes Miller as their new men's basketball coach. The former UNC Greensboro coach will receive a six-year excuse me, a six-year deal. He's just 38 years old. He had a 185 and 135 record in 10 seasons at the helm of UNC Greensboro, leading the Spartans to four Southern Conference regular season championships, two conference tournament championships, and two NCAA tournament appearances. Um, In 2011, when he was elevated at the time from interim to permanent head coach, he was, at the time, uh, Miller was the youngest head coach in Division One men's basketball. And um, he was a player. He did play for Roy Williams at the University of North Carolina, winning a national championship as a reserve guard in 2005. And it's funny because I sent my dad a tweet that I found today um, when I was looking this into this. When he played at North Carolina in, like I said, back in you know to early 2000s, 2005, when he won the national title, um, there's a picture of him on the court. And oh my God, the jersey and shorts he's wearing is so baggy. It's like, wow, that was just, that wasn't even that long ago, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And it's just totally different than the uniforms they wear today. It was like two sizes too big. The shorts looked like, you know, they were pants on him and swimming and the shirt was, you know, really baggy. It was, it was pretty funny. Uh, so I had a good laugh with that. Um, and if you guys, uh, remember a few weeks uh, back, I reported that Cincinnati, um, they put John Brannon on, I think, April 9th. They put him on administrative leave a week prior to April 9th, and then on April 9th, he was fired. The reason being the university had to open an investigation into allegations related to the basketball program um, about on or around March 26th after a mass roster exodus meaning uh, a lot of players entered the transfer portal, six to be exact, um, in the span of a week in March, including four freshmen, okay, four. So, yikes. Um, So that's why he was fired. Who knows if it was the culture, what it was, but I went on a rant uh, recently about Rutgers. They have four that entered the transfer portal that are leaving. So, uh, And then I read earlier this week, too, three teams only. Three teams that did not have a single player, three power six teams in college division one basketball that did not have a single player um, that entered the transfer portal. Um, and let's see if I could even find it. Um, I sent I sent it to my dad. I know that there it was um, Michigan was one of them. I'm trying to see. Let me see real quick. It was Michigan. Here we go. Alabama, Michigan, and UCLA. Oh, oh, gee, what do you know? A number two seed in Alabama, a number 11 seed that went to a Final Four, and Michigan, a number one seed. Um, Just unbelievable that, you know, they played UCLA actually in the Elite Eight there, but just unbelievable. All but three teams in the Power Six conferences um, have nobody transferring out. This is a real serious problem, and... Something needs to be done, a rule change, whatever it may be. This cannot continue to happen. You can't build a program when everybody realizes they're just going to be eligible immediately if they transfer somewhere. Okay, the second hire I wanted to talk about was Arizona hiring Gonzaga's Tommy Lloyd as head coach. Lloyd will receive a five-year contract. He had been a an assistant with the Bulldogs for the last 20 years, joining Mark Few on the bench before the 01-02 season. Um, Gonzaga earned an NCAA tournament berth every single year and reached the title game twice, obviously including this year's loss to Baylor. So every year that he was there, they went to the NCAA tournament. That is some hell of a resume, um, and that's why they're hiring him. The, Of course, the Wildcats fired Sean Miller after 12 seasons last week as Arizona missed the tournament with a self-imposed one-year postseason ban. It's crazy because uh, both Archie Miller and Sean Miller, they were the real big hot, hot commodity over the last bunch of years. Um, uh, Sean Miller, of course, starting 
off at Xavier, building that program, and then going to Arizona, having some success there. And then, of course, um, Archie Miller started off at Dayton, and then he built that program into a powerhouse before coming to Indiana, and both have sort of fizzled out. Um, Of course, you had the FBI allegations with Sean uh, Miller a few years back with DeAndre Ayton, where it was recorded on audio that he paid him all this money to come to Arizona. So, uh, yeah. Um, And then I saw, I believe, with Sean Miller, he is going to spend one year as an assistant somewhere in the NBA before trying to come back to the college ranks and get a uh, head coaching job. All right, next up, let's talk baseball. Yadier Molina, uh, either yesterday or Wednesday, he became, the I think yesterday, the first catcher in Major League Baseball history to catch 2,000 games behind the plate for one team. Just soak that in for a minute. He caught 2,000 games behind the plate for the St. Louis Cardinals. Just ridiculous. And to go along with that, it was also the 277th time Adam uh, Wainwright pitched to Molina in the regular season. That's a lot of times. How how high does that rank? Well, actually, six most of any pitcher-catcher duo in the modern era. That is going all the way back to at least 1900. That's quite shocking. Speaking of shocking, uh, I did not see this one coming. Just five games into his tenure with the Brooklyn Nets, LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring from the NBA. This news just sent a gut punch to my stomach because I really am a big fan of LaMarcus. And in five games with the Nets, he came right in, jumped in at the center position, and just became an instant starter. And he was sort of anchoring the Nets while Harden and Durant had been out. And he started to play really good, averaging like 12.8 points and doing really well and looking good. And it's just a real shame when you hear what exactly transpired. Um, He has an irregular heartbeat, and after 15 years, he's he's deciding to just hang it up and call it quits. Uh, seven-time All-Star, he he tweeted the decision um, yesterday in a, a, a post. I, I read through it, but he revealed that he played his last game against the Lakers on April 10th at, with an irregular heartbeat. He started to feel real weird afterwards, uh, missed the past two games with what Brooklyn was calling a non-COVID-19-related illness, He said his heart rhythm got progressively worse after that Lakers game, which really worried him. So then he alerted the Nets training staff um, on Sunday morning and um, or the medical staff there. And I think they got him to the hospital and, and, you know, checked him out there and figured this out. Um, Just a great, great career for for, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. He, uh, of course, played his college ball at Texas. I believe he was the number two overall pick when he came out of college. Uh, 15 seasons, of course, drafted by Portland. Um, Seven-time All-Star, five All-NBA nods, and the distinction of being just one of 25 players in NBA history to record 19,000 career points and 8,000 career rebounds. Um, he he was he was instrumental actually in recruiting Kevin Durant to the University of Texas, um, and then he you know was chasing a championship. That was the one thing at his age that he really wanted to get was that championship. That's why he signed with the Nets. Um, he had some familiarity familiarity there. Of course, Sean Marks, GM of the Nets, played with him. Um, and it's a real shame. So, you know, hopefully the Nets will do right by him. Should they win a championship, give him um, a ring because, you know, he's part of this team as well. Uh, but it's just a sad turn of events for a storied career and a great player in LaMarcus Aldridge. He will be missed. I uh, only got to see him briefly, five games with the Nets, but I'm telling you, he will be missed. Okay, Texas star Charlie Collier, she was drafted number one overall in last night's WNBA draft. I know uh, Kevin Durant, a Texas guy himself, he he was hyping her up as the number one overall pick. I saw a cool video where he FaceTimed with her and they were joking around talking about, you know, is she going to wear his number 35 or, you know, maybe one or 11 she said she likes and uh but you know she is a beast she's a power forward slash center i watched some of her highlight tape um she she 
she's got game and, and uh she is going to you know make Dallas uh you know really really happy um it's sad because um her late father I learned wasn't there uh he passed away he he uh I guess I'm not sure if he died of cancer or whatnot but he he went through a tough time um he he was in the hospital and so he ended up passing away within I guess the last couple of years so he wasn't there physically when she was selected but she recounted that while he was sick in the hospital um way back when she sat with him and he actually predicted this very moment Take a listen to how cool this was. It is beautiful. I see your brother, Casey, who plays football at USC, your mom, Ponda, your boyfriend. Um, someone is not there, and it's a man who preordained this moment for you. Your father, Elliot, told you your whole life you would be number one. What is it like in this moment? Everything that I did from a baby, like he said, you was going to be number one. Even this moment right here, we sat in the hospital bed, and he wrote down, we wrote down goals. This was one of them. And I'm sitting here like, he's here with me. You know, the games, everything that I do, he's here in this moment with me. It's just, you know, hard work pays off. And my dad is so proud of me. And, you know, I wish he could see this in real life. But, man, this feels so good. And, and nothing can take this moment away from me. I mean, I don't care about what anybody says. This Sorry, I had my mic on mute. Um, yeah, just a cool, cool moment there. I did not realize that her brother played uh, was an offensive lineman at USC. So, you know, the athletics, you know, athleticism and the athletes run in the family. I, I'm curious to know if her father, you know, obviously her father had to be an athlete. But, uh, man, just uh, really intriguing there. Um, that's pretty much all I've got. Let me just real quick um, go over some other stuff here. Um, obviously baseball on this weekend. Oh yeah, there's some buzz about um, Dwayne Wade today. He joined. Uh, he bought a stake in the Utah Jazz. Um, so that there's that. And then of course um, Alex Rodriguez could not uh, get a deal done to buy the Mets, so he decided to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it was all over social media that Anthony Edwards was asked about this and said he did not know who Alex Rodriguez was. Oh, my God. Um, the kid is 19 years old. You cannot tell me as a professional athlete drafted number one overall in the NBA that you do not know who Alex Rodriguez is. I, it's, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. A-Rod a poked a little fun at it, and, and he, he like messaged him on Instagram, his Instagram story or something, and... But whatever, um, you got baseball on uh, all throughout the weekend. My fantasy team needs to step it up. I'm currently losing 7-3 this week, but uh, it's early. It's early. Um, Donovan Mitchell, he went down with a uh, sprained ankle. X-rays were negative. Um, there's something going on with Aaron Donald um, in which apparently he got into a bar fight or something. I'm just going to let this play out. I, I don't really know. Um Aaron Donald, I'm reading here a headline that his attorney is saying that he aided this accuser um, and actually tried to help him. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, there's really no further um, – uh, there's there's nothing further on the Deshaun Watson front just yet. Everything's kind of holding steady. I saw that they the, these women uh, did something to remove their names from the case or something, So, but – I, I'm again. I'm waiting for that to, that foot to drop. Uh, it came out today that the New York Jets were offered a first round pick, number twelve overall in this year's draft, for Sam Darnold, and of course they did not take it. And the reason they did not take it, according to the CBS Sports article, which my one friend um, isn't buying into because he he says he 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 knows the guy that wrote the article and he can't stand him, and the guy is whatever. Uh, he he said that in this article that the Jets were waiting to find out about Zach Wilson's shoulder, and they were finally convinced that Zach Wilson is the guy and he's the real deal when they saw his pro day. And I just have to facepalm because Mel Kuyper Jr. says it all the time. I'm saying it all the time. You can't judge somebody and make a decision based on a pro day. 
So shame on the Jets. I am not surprised. Colleague emailed me that article today, and he said, I love your Jets, like, you know, jokingly uh, making fun of them. And I said, I'm just I'm, – I'm not surprised by this because this is what the Jets do. They find a way. You're telling me you can't – you don't know if Zach Wilson's shoulder is 100%, and then you watched his pro day where he's in shorts and a T-shirt, and he doesn't have Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, uh, you know, uh, Chris Jones or somebody else rushing him, and he's, he looks amazing. No crap. Everybody looks amazing. Ryan Leaf looked amazing at his pro day too, and Jamarcus Russell – and all these other busts, okay? It's so that that really irked me, um, big time. You've got the RBC, um, what is it? The RBC Heritage, whatever. Yeah, the RBC Heritage. Uh, Stuart Sink is up by five in that um, in that tournament. Uh, so they'll tee off around two o'clock tomorrow. I might be able to watch a little bit of the tail end of that. What else is going on? Um, there's something else I wanted to say. Uh, oh, there was no motive found for the shooting involving um, Philip Adams. So I don't know if I spoke about that last week, but in Rock Hill, South Carolina, former NFL player, I think he lasted six years in the NFL. He did play for my New York Jets in Rex Ryan's final season. He was a cornerback. Um, he showed up at his um, at his doctor's house, some 70-something-year-old doctor, killed him, the doctor, his wife, and his two grandkids that were under the ages of 10. Um, just sickening, and then he 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 shot two um t- two uh like maintenance workers um and killed one of them, and then he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. And now they're saying the police report on last week's mass shooting involving former NFL corner Philip Adams revealed little motive to what led the Rock Hill native to kill six people and then himself. The report released today from York County Sheriff's Office listed six counts of murder, possession of a weapon during a violent crime, and burglary first degree. Um, this uh, It's incredible. Uh, they, there's no motive, so the guy just decided to go on a killing spree and kill this prominent doctor and his whole family. It's sick. Um, they're going to obviously study his brain for CTE, which I'm sure it will have. Uh, so that's just wild. Um, let's see what else. Um, obviously NFL draft coming up at the end of the month. You've got, yeah, that's okay. That's pretty much it. All right. Um, with that being said, let's get to the final segment and wrap this show up at just under an hour on this date in sports. 21 years ago today, could have went a couple ways with this. This was um, on this date, I don't remember the exact year, but Michael Jordan actually played in his final game ever with the Washington Wizards where he scored 15 points. That's not the way I was going to go with this one. I'm going with 21 years ago today, Tom Brady was drafted by the New England Patriots, number 199 overall. Um, and since then, what's he got on to do? Oh, you know, uh, 10 Super Bowl appearances, okay, seven ch- uh, Super Bowl championships. Oh, and you know, he, he, he's amassed $263.54 million in career earnings. He's, he married a stunningly gorgeous supermodel in Giselle Bungeon has a few kids with her. He's got the TB12 method. He's got it all, and he's running it back with Tampa Bay in his mid-40s trying to defy the odds and just keep on keeping on. So uh, good for Tom Brady. Everybody got that one wrong except Bill Belichick and the Patriots. All right, guys, with that being said, I will wrap up this episode. Um, If you haven't been paying attention, go listen to the Glorious House of Gains. Another update on Rob's status. I saw him in the hospital starting to lift five-pound dumbbells. Love to see that. Can't wait to see him back home getting stronger and healthier and on the road to recovery. So go listen to the Glorious House of Gains podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Um, That's it. Uh, We've got a doubleheader softball at the college tomorrow. Can't wait. We need to pull out these two games. Uh, we need to, you know, we're on a bit of a losing streak right now. Played a couple of really good, uh, really good teams. Um, of course, last week we beat the fourth ranked uh, team in the country 
in Division Three. Uh, we smacked them up pretty good, lumped them up pretty good, 8 nothing in the first game, and then lost 10-7 in the second game. Um, and we've got another good test tomorrow. Um, doubleheader starting at 12 o'clock. So hopefully, you know, we could play good softball and get a couple victories there. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Going to jump off here, get this thing uploaded so you guys can listen to it later tonight in the morning, whatever, with your coffee, uh, whatever, uh, driving in the car to work, doing you know, your errands, getting groceries, whatever pleases you, however you listen to the show. Obviously, you can listen to this show and Glorious House of Gains podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Um, I got to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to go play some video games, some some team up on NBA 2K. Uh, new show to drop today on Disney+. Plus. Obviously, I'm into the Mighty Ducks show as well, but a new show with John Stamos called Big Shot. Um, it's pretty funny, actually. He's a high-profile a Division One men's college basketball coach at Wisconsin, and he ends up throwing a chair like Bobby Knight, and this time it hits the ref, and he gets fired, and nobody will hire him. So his agent gets him a job um, coaching a girls' high school at an elite like private school in, in California somewhere, and it's pretty funny. First episode aired. It's pretty good. It's a good family show if you're, you know, uh, a sports type of family. So, um, yeah, check it out. It's on Disney plus it was, you know, like I said, a fan of John Stamos. So it was, it was, it was well done. Um, and then I got to watch, of course, the new mighty ducks episode that should have dropped today as well. All right. With that being said, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. I will see everybody next week for another brand new show. Uh, this has been what episode number 136. This is the Pody signing off. Have a good weekend, everybody.